Hi, everybody. This is Jana Hlustova, your host. And we're doing something a little bit different today because we are celebrating 100 episodes of the Purse podcast. And so I wanted to record an audio journal, if you like, so that I could share a little bit about my journey and talk to you about why I started the Purse and the Purse podcast. Also to give you a little bit of context, obviously to our mission and to share some of my thoughts and learnings about this very important topic, which is obviously about women, money and investing. So let me talk about my background. First of all, I was born in the Czech Republic or what used to be Czechoslovakia. And when I was six years old, my family moved to Sydney in Australia. You might hear an occasional Aussie twang. I started attending boarding school here in the UK from the age of 14. So I am a Czech Aussie Brit. I've got three passports. So I've grown up in three countries across three different cultures. And you learn to embrace change. People who know me know that I am all about change. I'm all about trying new things because when you move to different countries, you attend lots of schools before the age of 12, you learn to adapt and you learn to integrate and you become really open-minded. You're not afraid to ask why or why not. And that explains why the status quo is simply not in my vocab. In fact, I find it very frustrating. And my LinkedIn bio says, I love new ideas, changing the order of things, connecting people and solving problems. It's fair to say that I take a gender lens view to most things because let's face it, the world is default male. In my view, women represent the most underestimated growth market and the biggest opportunity, not only from an innovation point of view, but also from the perspective of addressing some of the world's biggest problems, such as poverty, wealth inequality, and the climate crisis, for example. The data shows when we invest in women, not only does the economy and business do better, but so does society as a whole. I'd say that the most important and underlying theme to my work is my focus on women, the female market and its many sub-markets, right? It's not just a singular market, which of course covers the female perspective and the female lived experience. I believe that women and the women's purse will drive significant changes in business politics and society overall. As many of you know who listen to the podcast, I champion women, women founders, women investors, and underrepresented groups. I regard women's economic empowerment as the unlocking of women's power and agency in our society, which is reshaping the world we live in. I truly believe when women can fully stand in their financial power, we will live in a very different world and everyone will be better off. 
In terms of my professional experience, just to summarize, I spent over 18 years now working in technology, in B2B enterprise, in professional services, media, as well as the world of startups. I have a master's from the London School of Economics and over 18 years in senior business development, commercial management. And I am also a female founder, a gender lens investor, and I do invest in crypto. This is not investment advice, obviously. And I have currently a full-time job as a sales director. I work for a premium Salesforce implementation partner called OSF Digital. And The Purse is my third startup, which I work on in the evenings or the weekends. So why did I start The Purse and The Purse podcast? So here's a little bit of background. I ran a startup back in 2014, 2015 called LifeShifter. I was building a digital marketplace for professional women who were looking for flexible part-time or gig-based work. And I was connecting them to scaling tech businesses, which either didn't have budget or simply did not need to hire a full-time CMO, for example, or a CFO. We were addressing the gender bias problem of recruiters who were very frequently underestimating female candidates because they'd gone on maternity leave, say, for one, two years, or they'd been out of the workplace for up to five so the focus was very much on skills, connecting skills to a project brief. And I'm happy to say the startup did very well from the off, but it's fair to say that nothing could have prepared me for the difficulty of raising funding from mostly male angel investors. And for most of my listeners, I've mentioned this a few times, it's tough raising funding from white male angel investors who have not exposed themselves to female startups, to female markets, to understanding the female experience. So it was tough back in 2014, 2015, because they simply didn't get it. And I'd say that was also compounded by the fact that I hardly met any female angel investors I might have met one or two, but it transpired later on that they were in fact buy-to-let investors. They had been invited to an angel network kind of pitch event where I was presenting at the very last minute. And so they weren't actually looking to invest and they were definitely not tech investors either. The other thing that struck me was the fact that my female friends, my female colleagues, so the women in my network, including those who worked in private equity as well as venture capital, had no prior experience investing in startups with their own money. I would say still bringing up the topic of money, you know, how much you have or whether you invest and where you invest and being quite transparent about your investment portfolio if you have one is considered fairly unsavory and might even be considered uncouth in some instances. And I did feel this discomfort when I tried to bring up the topic when I was raising funding for my startup. But thinking back, I'd never really had the conversation with any of my female friends or female colleagues. So given how tricky the startup funding environment is for female founders, 
and how easily I had actually seen younger, relatively inexperienced male founders raise funding. It really was a rude awakening for me. The fact that we as women, my network of female friends and colleagues did not talk about money. That experience wasn't really there. And so you come across this additional barrier, this huge disadvantage and what you could regard as an invisible tax that women and women founders have to bear as a result of this. Men simply don't have this. So although I was generating revenue for my business and again, doing quite well, right? Within the first four weeks, I found my first customer. We were generating revenue. I had actually raised funding from an older male founder. I was part of an accelerator program for three months. He had two daughters who appreciated the benefits of my business or certainly understood the business problem I was trying to solve. It wasn't anywhere near as much as we needed. And the fundraising process dragged on. And eventually, unfortunately, our biggest client, who had actually been my first client, went into administration and they dragged us down with them. And I should say that this particular client was the biggest tech startup in London at the time. They'd raised $30 million and I believe they failed to release an MVP in the first two years. So unfortunately, we were dragged down with them. A very, very tough experience for anyone who's gone through it to lose a business, a startup that you put your heart and soul into, not to mention a lot of your money as well. However, I wasn't going to miss the opportunity to really learn from it and to turn it into something useful. And in fact, I decided to use the experience as fuel to look at this problem around women, money, and investing. And of course, I also had to work through the financial shock this had on my life. I had to wake up to how important it is to look after your own money, protect your personal wealth, and consistently build your financial future every single day. I had assumed I'd always have my business. And of course, that wasn't the case. And I'm going to share a little bit about what I've shared on my website already. So I obviously reflected on the financial decisions that I'd made and the financial decisions I hadn't made for myself and how our life choices impact our money. And as you'd expect, I became obsessed with learning everything I could about money, about personal finance, about investing. I revisited everything I had studied as a graduate in economics and management. There seemed very little information and advice, though, for women based on our different life choices. I mean, I was a female founder, female entrepreneur. I didn't have any dependents. So where could I go to speak to somebody to give very tailored advice based on my situation. And I just found everything that I came across as very generic, incomplete, very insufficient. I even struggled to find a community of women that I could really talk to very candidly and transparently about this. I had a couple of meetings with a financial advisor, it was a male financial advisor, but really didn't provide the answers I was looking for. 
But as I reset, I realized that my experience had uncovered a problem shared by many other women of all ages. And again, coming back to this point of I wanted to use this as a fuel, as information, as, as learning I could pass on to other women to inspire them to engage around their money within a supportive community. For women, I believe being in control of our money and our financial future is owning our power and knowing our self-worth. And this is really what the purse is about. Now, in 2019, I published an article on Medium, and this, again, provides really good context for the purse and why this is so important and why I'm so committed to this space and to this business. So I believe that women are the new economic powerhouse. By 2030, some of you may be familiar with this, women in the US are projected to control much of the $30 trillion in financial assets that baby boomers will possess. Women are also the largest beneficiaries of the current transfer of wealth living on average five years longer than men. And by 2025 in the UK, women will own the majority of private wealth. Now, the female consumer purchasing power is bigger than the GDP of China and India. Women make up over 85% of all household decisions and women are increasingly the primary breadwinners. Nine out of 10 women will be the sole decision maker in their household about their finances at some point in their life. Now, more women than men are graduating with degrees and more women are in full-time employment. They are earning more and have more disposable income to spend, save and invest. This is all really, really positive news. Female entrepreneurs, as we know, are building new businesses, they're creating new companies, they're building new markets, they're fast becoming prominent wealth creators, and equally women investors are growing their wealth, but they're taking a different approach to investing. They are the driving force behind impact investing and are controlling more money than ever before. Women are steadily changing business industry and innovation as we know it. However, this is the challenge. Women still earn less than men, whether they have children or not. Women in their 40s with no children earn 12% less than men with no children and on average have one-fifth of the pension pot men do when they retire in the UK. The gender wealth gap is very real. Women are more likely to have career interruptions, to work part-time or are in temporary employment and do far more unpaid childcare work than men do. Women who are divorced or separated have less savings than their ex-partners and are more likely to suffer from a mental health condition which can become a barrier to work, especially as women get older. Now consider that women live longer than their male partner and experience longer periods of ill health in later life and therefore the cost of care for women is much higher. Not only 
is a woman's life trajectory different to a man's, but women are exposed to far more financial risk throughout their lifetime, which makes them more vulnerable to financial shock. Despite this, women are less engaged when it comes to their money, and the data shows that women tend to save less and invest less. So given what we know, women should actually be saving and investing far more than men in order to ensure their financial resilience, build their financial security, and protect their financial future. Meanwhile, the information provided, especially in women's magazines and other publications and content, is all about budgeting or tips on how to spend less and often ignore the financial risk to which women are exposed. Although I would say there has been a change in the narrative since 2019. It's obvious that there is a little bit more attention and understanding around just how significant this problem is, but there is still a long way to go. The content does not address what women need to do in order to build financial security and prosperity over the long term. Now, report after report states that women are interested in learning more about money and investing. They would like more information in order to make the right financial decisions. However, it is no secret that women are put off by the financial industry's use of technical language or jargon to explain the products and services. In fact, a recent report confirmed what we've known anecdotally, right? In the financial services industry, the customer default is male, which unwittingly may make women feel less welcome and may explain why they are less engaged as a result. Although this is an enormous challenge, this also presents an enormous opportunity for the financial services and wealth management industry. We know that women think differently about money and investing, right? Context is important. Women are far more orientated around their goals and also the impact of the money they invest. So yes, performance is important. And many people misunderstand this point. They think women are only interested in impact. Performance is not important. And that is not the case. That's not what we're saying. Women just have a wider aperture in terms of how they think about the world. So surely this is a smart or a smarter way of investing. Now, I just want to leave you with a few final points. This came off a recent report by a very big financial services business. And essentially, it said that if women invested at the same rate as men, there would be an extra $3.2 trillion of assets under management from private individuals and $1.87 trillion of additional capital into responsible investment. So investing in women is investing in humanity, in my view. For women, investing is investing in your financial future, which is so key. And no one should have control over that other than you. Don't outsource your money or defer long-term investing decisions to somebody else. 
You really don't want to wait for a major life event or a disaster to strike before you start paying attention to this. So own it. This is your space. You belong here. Talk to your female friends about money and investing. Join a community. Listen to the purse. Keep learning. Ask questions. Share in your success and your failures, right? We all have them. And we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. So share your learnings, be transparent, never stop learning, keep learning every single day. I want to say thank you for joining me on this journey. This is something I feel so strongly and very, very passionately about. If you'd like to say hello, we have any questions at all, please do reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Send me a message. Love to hear from you. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.